Welcome back to another episode of Cross Defense. This is the show where we focus on equipping your mind, exciting your imagination, and comforting your soul with God's word because we recognize that we have quite a fierce foe out there. We have the devil, we have our own sinful Adam, and we also contend with the world that has fallen. Um, and all of these things can only be defended against, uh, fought against by the cross. We need Christ. That's the point, my friends. We need to have Christ crucified and resurrected. We're coming up on Easter. Uh, resurrected for the forgiveness of our sins. He has won salvation for us, and he has given us eternal life. This is our great defense. And so on this show, Cross Defense, we focus on the cross and that defense. And today we're going to talk with our regular guest, our Imagineer, Sam Schulteis. He's joining us to uh, finish our conversation from last week. We were just getting into some good metaphor language when we had to cut it off just because of time. So uh, Sam has graciously come back. He's going to continue that conversation on metaphor for the first uh, segment and, and maybe into the second segment, and we'll see how it goes. And then I have a kind of a, a special announcement at the end of the show. Oh, well, spoiler alert. This is the last show. So we'll talk more about that at the for me. Not not last cross defense necessarily. Last show with me at the helm, I should say that. Um, and we'll talk more about that at the very, in the very last segment of the show. And um, yeah, go from there. It's it's all good. But just wanted to kind of break that news to you, and we'll go from there. Okay. So Sam coming to us from Milton, Washington. Hey, how good are afternoon. you? Hey, doing well, doing well. Good to be with you again here. Yeah, it's good to have you with us. Uh, how how is your preparation for Easter coming? It's uh, it's actually going pretty good. Um, we're uh, our office manager and I are working ahead on some bulletins and uh, kind of got a, a sort of an outline, uh, at least in my head, of what the Holy Week sermons are going to be. We've been doing a midweek Lenten series on the Exoduses of Scripture, so looking at uh, exiled in sin and return and different Old Testament examples of that, and Jesus' death and resurrection, of course, being the grand, right, the great Exodus, the archetype exodus of all scripture. So that'll be a, a really nice uh, kind of a natural fit in into Holy Week. So I kind of have those, no, they're not written yet, but they're at least mentally outlined uh, enough to where when I sit down probably during Holy Week or the week before, I try to work ahead as much as I can. Uh, those will should be maybe with a cup of coffee, pretty easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember when uh, when that kind of light bulb went off in my mind as a, as a young Christian, when I made the, the parallel between the Exodus um, in the Old Testament, Moses and yeah. Egypt, and and our Exodus from sin, like in Christ, I, it's, I, it's a beautiful thing, and yeah, yeah, it, it's it's it, it's mind blowing because you read the whole Old Testament, and I was I was having a conversation with somebody I think during a Bible class the other night, and uh, you know, the entire Old Testament, the the story right that that grounds the whole Old Testament is the Exodus. You know, the Psalms and the prophets. They're always going back time and time again to this great salvation event that the Lord does, right? Bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to the Promised Land. You know, this is the this is the salvation event of the entire Old Testament. So, as that is that Exodus is to the Old Testament, right? Jesus' death and resurrection is to the New Testament. It's the ground. It's the anchor. It's the foundation. It's the whole cornerstone, right? To use more. Hey, we're using metaphorical language here, aren't we? <laughs> Isn't that good? Uh, but that and that's such a rich thing, and a, what a comforting thing. And then, you know, lo and behold, you get to the Gospel of Luke, 
and Jesus is talking with uh, you know James and John and Peter and then Moses and Elijah at his transfiguration. And Luke is the only one to say this, that he is talking about his exodus that he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And you think, whoa, wait a minute. You just, you just dropped a whole bunch of good <laughs> gospel bombs on me here. And that's fantastic. And that's one of the great things about the language that God gives us in Scripture, right, is that it, it can uh, give us great comfort and hope. And it can also you know, just – blow our minds with his grace. Uh, that's a fantastic thing. Yes, it is. Well, let's let's use that little springboard of metaphor to jump into it, shall we? Yeah, or sure, absolutely. conversation from last week, I should say. We're already yeah. into it. We're just, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're jumping on the train of thought, right? Uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, I love that imagery, by the way, in the, the, the Disney movie Inside Out, right, where they have the train of thought and it actually moves through the brain like a, <laughs> like a train on a – anyway. Yeah. yeah. I digress. But uh, you know, that, that's what language does, right? It takes these kind of strange things, like we say a train of thought, a thought. I mean how do you, how do you depict a thought? Well, a train is a really good way to do it because we've seen trains, most of us, even if it's not in person. Most of the time we have, but you know, we can we can wrap our head around. There's another right, metaphor. Right? We can wrap our head around. <laughs> covered everywhere. Everyone what a train is. is. Well, it's it, it's funny that the more you the more you realize what a metaphor is, the more we realize I think how much we use it during the day. You know, just in our everyday life, it's it's how we communicate. It's how we learn things. Um, it's how we teach others too. You know, if we're teaching our children not to touch something hot, uh, you know, some people say, "Oh, you should you should let them touch it." Well, no, that's kind of that's not good parenting, right? <laughs> you can teach them, but it's dangerous by showing them something else that's maybe a little less dangerous and say, "No, this is more dangerous," right? Uh, so we we teach kids and even ourselves, right? We learn by metaphor because we learn, you know, metaphor and language. One of the great parts of this figure of speech is that it takes something that is known and familiar. And then uses it to teach something that's maybe a little less known, maybe a little less familiar. So I think we talked about this a little bit last week uh, with the you know, just the definition or the sort of the etymology, right? The root word of where metaphor comes from. So yeah, it's probably it worth a just recap. revisiting that exactly. So metaphor, like a lot of fun words in uh, in the language uh, of English, comes from Greek. Right? So meta meaning something that is over or above something. Um, and then uh, ferrain right, is a Greek word to, or a Greek verb to carry something or to transfer something. So what you're doing in a metaphor is you're, you're transferring over, you're carrying over something, you're comparing something or someone or several things to each other. And so there's a, there's a carryover, right? There's a transfer over of, of a meaning. And, uh, well, let's take an example here. To, what does this mean, right? Because that's always a good place to do it, right? Um, Let's see. Psalm 46 comes to mind. Let me pull that one out here. All right. So we want, to, we want to talk about God being strong. And again, you can kind of – you might even already – even with that word strong, you might start to picture certain things in your head. For me, Samson comes to mind because uh-huh. you, you, you picture strength in the Bible. That might be – that might be – you might have other first choices that come to your mind. That just happens to be the one that pulled out of the out of the hat, right? But Psalm 46 talks a little bit about God's strength and uses a metaphor to do it. So here's how uh, the first verse, very famous and familiar to Lutherans uh, because we have a very famous hymn named after this that we can talk about too. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So the psalmist right, could say that you know, God is strong and just kind of be done with the psalm at that point, right? But that'd be a really short pretty boring psalm. 
So instead, what the psalmist does is say, no, God is our refuge, our strength, right? uh, a mighty fortress, we say in the hymn uh, that Martin Luther penned during the Reformation to talk about how God is, right, he's immovable, he is strong, he is a refuge. You know, if you think of a castle or a fortress or a refuge, you, you think of all those things that come to mind when you see maybe a picture of a castle in you know Western Europe somewhere in Germany or Ireland or Scotland or something, you know stones. You you can't move those stones, right? You can't just take a you know take a swing at a castle and, and it's gonna knock down. Right? It's not gonna be a pushover, right? And and the people inside of it, right? They're gonna be they're gonna be sheltered. They're gonna be provided for. They're gonna be safe. They're gonna be defended. And the psalmist is saying all of that in a very short space. I mean, just one verse we read there, but it gives us this whole, really a whole world, right? A whole living, um, a living language, right? Uh, The living reality that is ours in God, right? He is our refuge, our strength. He is there to help in trouble. Um, So that's, that's just one biblical example uh, of how language, uh, you know, God uses language uh, to show us, to show us his love, right? To show us his, uh, his strength. Right? Um, anyway, that's I, I think that's cool. I think that's great. Yeah, so that, that's how as the inventor of language, the as the word yeah. himself. It's it's fascinating to me that he. This is part of the design. This is the this is part of how language works. Yeah. And in Hebrew, you really get this. I was I was re- reminded of the the Hebrew way of of talking about being angry, right? Mm. Like your his, uh, his nose burned. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, very, yeah. very uh, colorful way of saying he was angry, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that it's not—it's not like a primitive thing versus a modern-day society. It's not. It's a—it's a picture mm-hmm. language thing. It's the way the Lord established language to be used to paint this picture to give substance to what we're dealing with. Right? It, yep. It's—we're not just flat people. Um, yeah, we, we are a textured people, and and there's ways of expressing variant ways of expressing. Mm-hmm. Our our emotions and and the realities around us, and, and I gotta believe that God knew this going in, that man was gonna have such a hard time conceptualizing and visualizing and understanding his ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, his, mm-hmm. I mean, how how does man, without his revelation, without God's revelation, how, we would never even be able to come up with this. Right. We, yep, we wouldn't absolutely. be able to imagine <laughs> to bring it back right. to our topic. Yeah, right? how yeah, yeah, is it's possible. Exactly. It, it is really an unimaginable thing apart from yeah. from God's gifts of uh, of the imagination, of words, of language, of Him revealing these things to us and giving us ordinary everyday tools like speaking, communication, words, you know, parts of speech, figures of speech, even uh, to go about that. Go about that work. Another great Hebrew example came to mind as you were talking about uh, the, the anger and the, the burning hot in the nose is the one where uh, God is built, you know, building, creating Eve. But the Hebrew verb behind uh, fashioning or forming Eve is that, that he built her, you know, much like a, like an architect might, you know, and there, there's not just I mean, there's more than just creation going on there, but there's there's the way that God goes about this, this purposeful, you know, thoughtful caring design that he puts into creating Eve you know, as this, uh, you know, wonderful companion uh, and help meet. I love that old word uh, to Adam in the garden there. So, yeah, the, the language yeah. is rich, not not dull, not flat, right? 
And this is one of the things that I think is is so important and wonderful about the use of, you know, that God, this gift of language that God gives us is that it's, you know, it's not dull or flat or abstract. It's, it's meant to be quite vivid, right? Meant to be quite concrete at the same time, right? We know, um, we can, I mean, sometimes even in that verb anger, you can feel it, (laughs) that description of your, of God's anger being burning, like a burning nose. Well, you, when you get really ticked off, right? (laughs) Yeah. You, you feel hot in the face, right? Yeah. It's, it's descriptive, right? We can relate to that. We can understand that. And that helps us understand and relate. Oh, okay. This is God's this is God's anger too, right? Uh, God's wrath over that. Um, so yeah, language works that way. It, it helps us communicate better, not uh, you know less, right? It helps us uh, be more clear in our language too. Granted, you do have to understand right the metaphor sometimes. So there there is some work involved here. It's not as if, I mean, some of it it's, it's kind of a both and. Some of it comes natural to us because we grow up around. Other people who speak, you know, English, and you know, for example, like in our homes, that's how our kids first learn. Um, or if you're in a different home with different languages being spoken, you learn those languages too. But uh, you know, it, metaphor does have to be. There's there's some part of it that's nature, right? It's born, it's given to us by God, and then other part of it is nurture too, where God is teaching us, and our parents and others around us are teaching it to us too. Uh, so there's there's all of that applies when we go to the scriptures too. Yep, and you can begin right. to understand some of the complexity. Uh, I, I like the Tower of, of Babel uh, narrative, and I, I really mm. I have on my shelf a number of books that I have not gotten to yet. But it's it's like a <laughs> it's a pet theological project of mine that I want to get to to study that, mm-hmm. just because what I have learned of it is is so fascinating. But this whole conversation we're having uh, draws to mind this idea of just how complex the confusing of the tongues. Was mm-hmm. we we often think oh, well yeah okay so so now uh, certain people are speaking Swahili other people are speaking English other people are speaking French like we just <laughs> kind of think of it in like very blanket terms but there's more to it than that there's yeah. also yeah. understanding of metaphors there's there's mm-hmm. cultural uh, complexity sure. right you, like yeah you you've probably been in a situation I'm sure yeah where you have like somebody that speaks a different language right and they they have a joke right and it makes no sense in english whereas it may make perfect sense in like let's right. say russian or something yeah as you were yeah. talking about you know how we teach our kids in, in the house uh, our language we also mm-hmm. are are presenting them the uh the references they're going to have yep. with that language yep. right yeah like a, we're almost giving them the handbook right the, the dictionary yeah. uh, as it were along with it too um exactly because otherwise you know or sports metaphors right this is another one if you don't <laughs> yeah. watch sports right you, you, you uh, somebody shooting it through the five hole it doesn't make any sense like what, what five hole huh <laughs> right <laughs> but unless you know that's a reference to being you know shooting it through the legs of a goalie in, in a hockey or so- a soccer situation then you know no big deal right? <laughs> but if you understand the metaphor then you you can understand the transference and so there's there's work that's involved there too yeah. right uh, it, and and the, the same is true when you come to the scriptures um and to use a metaphor to talk about that, right? We, we, uh, I think I often tell our confirmands when we're going through scriptures or when we're looking at a piece of artwork depicting the scriptures, I'll say to them, just let it sink in. Just listen to it, take it in, receive it, let it you know, soak it in like a, like a sponge. Because that's, that's one of the ways that this, um, this richness of the language of scripture is going to, is going to do that, get absorbed into us, right? It can be a part of our, our fabric of our being. Um, like the prayer that we often say uh, in, oh, it's in divine service. It shows up a few other uh, midweek services, right? That we would read 
mark, learn, and inwardly digest. I love that part of the prayer. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's very vivid, right? It's very concrete. You can think of your food and inwardly digesting, right? Becoming a, a part of you as you, as you eat it. And you know, the word, right? God's word does that too, right? The Proverbs talk about this. My word is as sweet as honeycomb, right? I think Proverbs is like 26 or something like that. Um, but that, that's, that, that's part of the gift of God's gift of language is that it comes to us this, this living way, right? Uh, this active way, all supported and sort of behind. Um, he's the one, you're the one pulling the strings, right? He's the one giving this this word its its great power. So, uh, you know, that's that shouldn't surprise us, I guess. Uh, I think it's something to rejoice in, uh, to to recognize, and then, you know, yeah, work at it. Right? Of course, and it really yeah. speaks to. I mean, if if anyone sits in the pews and you know, and like, well, I'm not doing anything, and they, some of the complaints sometimes can be that mm -hmm. our our services are are not interactive, which is not the case it shouldn't be the case uh right but, but there is something to be said in in that passivity of hearing the word there is i don't want to call it active for confusion's sake but there is something that you are doing you are listening you are paying attention right you yeah, are yeah. you're hearing the word and letting it you need to think it through it's going into your heart you're, you're inwardly mm -hmm. digesting it um, yeah yeah there's there's an active listening right i think we sometimes uh i know uh lots of different teaching and other you know methods of uh of life, right? Other disciplines in life talk about that active listening kind of thing, right? and that's that's good. That's a good discipline to apply to, to hearing the scriptures too, uh, because hearing the scriptures right requires, I think, and we've talked about this a number of times too, both our reason you know, to think through those things, right, logic, but also our imagination. And metaphor does the same thing too. It's never an either or. It's always a both and, right? God gives us reason and imagination, both as gifts. And he calls us to use both of them as gifts when it comes to hearing the scriptures and in turn speaking the scriptures too, right? Using his own God-given metaphors and his God-given gift of language to deliver and speak, uh, defend, right? That, uh, that good, uh, good word, that good gospel that he gives to us Absolutely. in his word too. Yeah. Well, let's take a break real quick. Uh, as we do, maybe think about this. How, in, in just fiction in general, just our modern narrative, not scripture, but... How uh, how much richer are our stories, our imaginative, imaginative mm. stories, the ones that use some some real reason that you really can like sink your teeth into? Those are the ones that last, right? The Tolkien, the Lewis, the I mean, these are the stories that really have some substance. We oftentimes think of fantasies, the fantasy genre, science fiction. We think of them as just complete escape, right? Just complete imagination. No, mm. science fiction is a, uh, I mean. It's led to some actual inventions, right? It's, it's actually okay. like, yeah, influence. Yeah, you okay, read some stuff like, we'll be right back. We'll dive back into metaphor. All right, don't go away. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death and he raises us to new life in him. Join me. Pastor Timothy Apple on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. And just like that, we are back into it. And we are talking about metaphor, the imagination, 
If you're enjoying this conversation, you can always contact us. You can chime in. A number of you have contacted me uh, recently about different things that we've talked about. And, uh, just one one of you, thank you very much. Just kind of said, I have nothing to say. I just want to say I enjoy the show. So, uh, Ken, thanks for enjoying the show. Thanks for listening. And I, uh, I really appreciate the support. I've appreciated the support the whole time we've been doing this show. And I really appreciate that Pastor Schulteis has been able to jump on board. I'd like to just, I mean, he's got co-host like this guy's been along for the entire ride uh, i reached out to you early on said hey i want to do a segment on imagination and we were able to kind of lasso you in for the whole thing so thanks Pat. hey it's been a, it's been a lot of fun i've been uh, enjoying it this is immensely so we're talking metaphor yeah. where else are we gonna what are, what are you gonna give us what else you got yeah past, past so uh, another thing that kind of goes along with that is uh, uh a couple of other quick, just quick definition kinds of things about about metaphor. Helpful things that, when you think of all right, what what is a metaphor, because there again we're kind of using an abstract word. We've defined it a little bit. We've given some biblical examples already. So there's there's two definitions. One's a little more technical, and one's a little more eh, just uh, I don't know familiar. We'll say. Right? So there's there's a definition from Aristotle that uh, that goes like this. He says uh, metaphor is the application of an alien name by transference. Right, that's a lot of technical language. I mean, alien, alien name, right? Not as in like uh, little green Martians like Marvin, right? <laughs> but alien is in foreign, right? We talk about alien uh, justification or God's alien work, right? right? It's it's outside of you, right? that kind of thing. All right, so you know something that's different, right? Different than you transfer it. You know, kind of like we talked about, you carry over a meaning. Uh, so, we'll do, do a little test there. Which, which of these two statements is stronger, right? Uh, Jesus is like a lamb of God, right? Or Jesus is the lamb of God, right? Uh, the first one is a simile, right? Jesus is like a lamb of God. There, there may be one or more comparisons between him. But notice how by saying Jesus is the lamb of God, is, is several things are happening there, right? One thing is we're, we're deepening the comparison. It's not just there are certain things that are like each other or being compared to each other. It's that now there's so much of a comparison that there's there's an overlap. There's a bleeding over. Uh, you can't look at a lamb now outside of hearing that and think uh, you know, of only a lamb. You, you see a lamb in the scriptures and you're going to think, oh, John the Baptist said Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, yeah. Abraham's son Isaac right, was spared because there was a lamb or a ram caught in the thicket. The Passover lamb right, is sacrificed in Exodus 12, and the blood is pasted over the doorpost. Right, all these scriptural images uh, where God does two things at once. He's giving us metaphorical language, but he's also giving us a true historical event. <laughs> and This is one of the great things about the, the language of scripture is that it, God uses all the richness and beauty and you know imaginative creativity that he has and that he gives his creatures us his people but they also really are true so not only is it a metaphor that jesus is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world but he really is the lamb of god right? so all other lambs all other sacrifices gonna get their definition from him right? he's the true sacrifice he's the true lamb kind of like when he says he's the door well all other doors get their this is going to sound weird but their their doorness right <laughs> from jesus who is the door he's the entryway right uh the point uh, the one through whom we go uh, to get to the father and uh, he's the one who grants us that entrance through his death and resurrection so 
uh, language, again, it's transferring those meanings and it, again, deepening it to right, strengthening it uh, so much so that it's identifying one thing with another that you, you, you almost can't pull it apart. Right? Um, like I said, lamb and Jesus, you, you can't separate those two. Light is another kind of image that scripture uses that God uses about, right? Christ says he is the light of the world. And you, it's hard, you know, you're hard pressed to look in scripture and see light without seeing right, Christ's redemption. Uh, and there again, even the word redemption right, is another use of metaphor, right? another use of words that uh, convey truth. And maybe this is a good time to moment, uh, mention that sometimes we tend to think of the word metaphor or metaphorically speaking right, as something that is not true, that just says something that we mean to say differently. But I think scripture, kind of like the word myth we talked about several segments ago, where myth conveys truth, not so much myth is a false uh, story. Metaphors are not false words. They are, they are true words, right? Using, using real world imagery, concrete, vivid, evocative, illustrative words, pulling all that in and telling us this is like this, or this is this. Uh, so it's, it's not that metaphor is giving us something false. It's that it's giving us something true. Right? It's full of truth as well as beauty. Uh, and uh, you know, it, again, deepening that connection there between between creatures, between you know, communication, between language. Um, so uh, just for me, that's that was a helpful thing. I, I don't remember where I read that, but I, I remember Super reading that helpful. at some point, thinking that's really that's good stuff, right? Because we tend to speak and say, "Oh, I mean this metaphorically," and people will say they mean it. It's not true, but but metaphors are true. Uh, you know, Jesus really is the Lamb of God. All right, yeah, so he, so he kind of takes this. If you're going to speak metaphorically, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like people, they use that in that way. But what we should mean when we say that is, I'm about to infuse your understanding of something that you'll yeah. never understand it the same way again, right? Like, if we were going to say yeah. I'm going to speak metaphorically, it means I'm going to I'm going to enrich and enhance and change your understanding yeah. of what that lamb yeah. means. Right. Yeah, that, exactly. You will exactly. never see a lamb the same way again. Yeah, you will exactly. You will look at this in a in a greater way, right? A better way, a deeper way. Uh, Jesus does something kind of similar with Nicodemus in John three, right? When he is talking with Nicodemus and he says, "Unless one is born above, right? Born from above." Right. Right? Sometimes we translate it again or born uh, a second time, but born from above by water and the spirit. So Jesus kind of again he narrows this, but also deepens the understanding at the same time for Nicodemus and us who are kind of carried along for the ride with Nicodemus in that uh, that nighttime conversation there. And, and Jesus does this too. He uses a, a living metaphor, right? A true uh, true figure of speech that really is what he gives us in, in reality, right? A new birth from above by water and the spirit. Right? We'll come to find out later that has a name called baptism, but uh, but it's right, it's living, it's alive. Um, it, it's it's concrete. It's vivid, right? You, you can imagine, and maybe many people in the ancient world saw this a little more up close than we do now. But they they could picture, oh, a birth. Okay, I've I've maybe I've seen or at least heard that birth happen, right? I've uh, been close to that. Um, you know, today may, maybe you've been in the delivery room. You you can understand that. And so God uses those real things to say, yeah, this is true. This in the same way that. A human being is born. Now you are born in a greater way, right? uh, in in water, in word, by the Holy Spirit. Right? Do you ever, Pastor? Have you ever? Do you find it hard in in the real practical day to day pastoring life that you live? Live? Need? Mm. Sorry, uh, can't find my tongue this after, this afternoon. <laughs> uh, do you find it hard to get that across to the people? I 
I always have. That yeah, like, sometimes I think so. It, it's a challenge, right? That baptism isn't just re- representing this thing; that it's right. a new birth. It really you know, is what Jesus says it yeah, is. Really, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just in my head. I just I always every time I was teaching on that, I was no, you guys aren't getting this. Like right, it's <laughs> let, and they let probably work in more. Right. I was just like, no, no. Let me. Let me I gotta impress <laughs> this upon you even more. Right. Um, right. And I, that's one of the great things about looking at metaphor in the scripture is that it can it can deepen and strengthen our understanding of something like baptism. I mean, just take a few other examples of how scripture talks about baptism. Um, Paul talks about baptism as clothing us with Christ. Well, that's a what a great image that is. I mean, who of us haven't you know put on a jacket or a coat or a robe or something? We we understand what that means. That's wrapping yourself in something, right? Maybe it's to keep warm. Maybe it's for security. Maybe it's for comfort. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's more like Joseph, right, who's being clothed with the father's gift, right, or the son, the prodigal son, being clothed with the father's robe. He's part of the family again. All of these things are swirling together when Paul says, you're clothed with Christ. You have put on Christ in baptism. Or the adoption language Paul uses about baptism. We may not ourselves be adopted, but maybe we have a family member or a friend who is. And when you're adopted, you get the whole family name. You get the legal rights. You get all that it means to be a child of that family. And everything belongs to you now. You are as good as if you were born of that family because the adoption says so, right? Well, this is what God is doing in baptism. Right? So even, even with baptism, um, even with the Lord's Supper, right? All of God's gifts, uh, the gospel, the forgiveness, right? The sacraments, they, they all come to us in these tangible, real ways. You know, not just the, the flesh and blood or the, the word and the water, the tangible things that make up the sacraments, but also the way God speaks about the sacraments and he reveals them to us. Um, so that, yeah, it, it can be challenging, no doubt. And I think scripture comes to our aid uh, yeah. when it comes to that challenge right, to give us these just multiplicity, right, a swarm of metaphors <laughs> right. uh, and living, really good living language about it. Right? It makes me, um, it makes me think of, he, is it Hebrews that we, we, where we find that the Old Testament sacrificial system is a shadow of, yeah, of the yeah. things to come, right? Is that, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it, yeah. of those those things are pointing to the greater reality. Yep. The greater reality isn't just a it's not just a way of talking about it. They are it's 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 related to it. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the it's not yet to come. And so as we're as we're talking about like for instance baptism, mm-hmm. and we talk about it being a new birth, uh, another birth, the second birth, the birth from above, the birth from the Father. Uh, and mm-hmm. our people go, yeah, yeah, we it represents it. It looks like it. It's sure, Pastor, but it's not right. like <laughs> the actual birth. I mean. I'm not seeing this baby come right. out of a womb kind of right. thing. <laughs> right. But you yeah. will. Yeah. But you will, as yeah, Paul said, exactly. right? We see now through a veil. We don't see fully. Yeah. Uh, you will. Yeah. This thing is really what it is saying it is. It's just we can't see it quite yet. Uh, yeah, it's hard to, again, one of those things that's hard to wrap our heads around. And God's gift of language and figures of speech helps us to bridge that gap a little bit. I, again, imperfect in this life. To be sure, eventually but, we'll be able to see in the metaphor dimension. <laughs> yeah, now we see in part, right? Yeah, then we will see in in fullness, right? Yeah, um, yeah it, it's 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 a crazy thing, a uh, beautiful thing. It, it's it's not unlike the disciples before the resurrection, right? And then after the resurrection, uh, with the Holy Spirit doing the doing the heavy lifting there for them, right? They, then they get it. They understand what Jesus was talking about all along. Now we're kind of in that waiting for Jesus to return, and so there's that parallel uh, to some degree that we see in part now. When he returns, we will see in fullness. 
And then it'll be, oh yeah, of course, that's what you that's what you were talking about, right? That's what you meant the whole time. That's what they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, then there's that there's that resurrection, right? A, a, a true new life, a, a new resurrection. Dead bodies out of a out of the ground, like Lazarus, right? Four days dead. Lord, he stinks, right? <laughs> I love that in John eleven. Uh, so what? Right? Jesus basically said, I'm, I'm going to raise him from the dead anyway. <laughs> in fact, I waited longer just to make sure that you could see that yeah. I have power over the tomb. And yeah, I delayed the just for this moment. That's right. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. So, yeah, there's the, <laughs> there's, there's good stuff there. Uh, the, other, the other quick fun uh, little definition of metaphor is uh, an old uh, teaching an old word, new tricks. I just thought that was clever. I think that's oh. kind of a good way of reminding you. We, we talked about the old dog and new tricks, right? It's, uh, just teaching an old word how to. Uh, you know, behave a little bit differently. Is that using a metaphor yeah. to define the metaphor? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but isn't that often how we do it, right? We 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 talk about something like uh, maybe we tell our kids to watch when they go across the street, and maybe you say, "Keep your eyes peeled." It's like you're you're not really taking a carrot peeler out, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. We we use this language, and we kind of stack language on top of each other. There we go again. Teaching um, an old one of the inklings. Yeah, one of the inklings. Um, uh, what was his name now? Ah, oh, um, anyway, one of the uh, one of the friends of the inklings had a had a great book about uh, sort of the meaning and use of language, and, and totally having a brain fart right now. <laughs> There's another good metaphor, right? <laughs> uh, metaphors are colorful too. That's a colorful um, metaphor. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Well, any rate. Speaking of, he stinks. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So you know, metaphors are metaphors are are both of those things combined, right? Truth and and meaning, right? Uh, real, tangible things, yet using all the all the vividness and creativity and richness of you know of creation, of our imagination, of God's gift of the imagination to um, in right? all in service to His Word. That's one of the cool things about this. This is it's this isn't something that man made up necessarily it's more of like a more of like a discovery right uh, this is what god gives us and we we kind of get to delight in in it you know much like uh much like a scientist might delight in enjoying you know discovering more depths of the you know the human dna or the you know the human eye and seeing how miraculously right, this is all put together kind of thing you know, language language has that to it too right. absolutely and you can go as deep as you'd like you will, yeah. especially in scripture, right? You will never uh, run out of something to to no, enrich no, your understanding. Yeah. I heard it described once as a uh, as a, a pool that is an inch deep, but like you know, miles and miles wide as well. So you, you know, it's easy enough to get in, dip your toes in, but it's also right, there's plenty of room to swim. There's plenty of depth. You keep going, and just the deep end just keeps getting deeper and deeper, <laughs> and you're you're never going to find the bottom. Right? Because uh, God's words, at, at some point, for us anyway, are right, unknowable, unsearchable. Uh, there's there's a limit to our knowledge and reason, but uh, there isn't to God's. So uh, we're, we're always going to have more to learn, more to uh, rejoice in, more to discover in His Word. Um, that's why you can read the same passage ten times, right, and find something new, uh, or something you didn't see before. Right? Uh, the more you read it, the more you hear it. That's right. So last week you talked about a couple other types of figures of speech. Uh, yeah, we have metaphor. Yeah. We had simile. We yeah, had... we had similes, right? Another form of comparison, like and as, right? Uh, as the deer pants for the water. I think we mentioned that from Psalm forty-two there. Right? Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so another two that were kind of a little bit more obscure. Yeah, perhaps. right. Another popular one is uh, is called the synecdoche. Right, uh-huh. and that's kind of a fun thing to say. Right? Right, right. Uh, Francisco, right? Uh, if you've watched the movie Elf, right? <laughs> that's fun to say. Uh, anyway. Uh, I don't need rap- people to do rabbit trails for me. I do them myself. Um, so synecdoche is like a part for the whole, right? Uh, if I say, uh, I think I used this example last week. I'll use it again because I know that you like Volkswagens, right? Yeah. Uh, and so if I say, hey, Ty, you've got a really nice set of wheels in your Volkswagen. You know, obviously, I mean, it may be the wheels themselves, but typically it might be a part for the whole. The entire and, thing, and, yeah. I'm talking about the entire Volkswagen minibus, right? The whole thing looks great. So you say, yeah, nice wheels, right? Uh, so that's one, had, that's one way. Then we had metonymy? Metonymy, yeah. So this is kind of a, uh, let's see, I mean, let me pull up my definition here. So giving a name of something that belongs to one of its attributes, right? Uh, so a good biblical example of that is uh, the throne of God, right? Or uh, the sword, right, in Romans 13. If we want to talk about the earthly authorities that God has given and what God has given them to do, Paul uses a metonymy. He says it's the sword, right? And by that, he means not just a physical sword, um, but but also the the ruling authority, uh, that to punish the wicked, to reward the good, to protect and defend against evil, that kind of thing. Right? Okay. Uh, so, sim- okay. Similar to how we might say, uh, like, you know, a word came from the White House today. Well, all right, we're talking about that position of authority that's in the office of this or that president. So of the uh, various figures of speech in scripture, Mm. do you, Pastor Schulteis, have a favorite? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I do think metaphor is my favorite. I know, I I know that sounds uh, maybe like like an obvious guess (laughs) or like an easy choice, right? Oh, that's the easy way. (laughs) But I really do, because I think so much of the scripture uses metaphor uh, to to convey, to to teach, to give us, to reveal God's love to us, and uh, you know, the Gospels are full of it. The Old Testament is full of it. The Psalms are full of it. Our hymns, even right, to take that kind of beyond uh, or to build on top of Scripture, right? Yeah. Uh, hymns are just replete with imagery. That's one of the things that makes them so memorable. In addition to the music, you've got the words, right? You've got these beautiful texts. Uh, you know, it's it's poetry. It's much like the Psalms, right? Because the Psalms are the Hebrew. Uh, hymnal, right? They're the Old right. Testament hymnal, full right. of rich imagery in in a very short amount of space. Right? It's it's easy to write a thousand words about something. It's not so easy to write ten about something, <laughs> right? Yeah, and to right. be vivid and illustrative, right? Kind of like yeah. the uh, I forget the guy, but right, the guy who uh, came and spoke uh, his speech at Gettysburg after Lincoln, and you know he spoke for like an over an hour or something like that, and Lincoln did it in you know a matter of minutes compared to this guy, right? <laughs> and because he used illustrative, good metaphor, good language, right, uh, to, right. to do it to convey the the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> so, All right, yeah, my yes. friend. Well. We're at the end of our segment. I want to thank you again. You've made hosting Cross Defense extremely easy. You did, I don't know if the listener understands this, but you did a lot of the heavy lifting. You you have got to be, I don't know, I know you've been on Issues Etc. and you've been on other radio programs. Maybe I can do a survey of hosts that have had you on the show. You've got to be the, the easiest guest to have on because- Well, thank you. It's a joy. Full of great information and you teach so well. It is a, I'm sure all your members are just- appreciative to be able to have you uh to teach them so thanks for your time we really appreciate it you're welcome glad to it's been a lot of fun experience we will talk well i will talk to you personally uh in the near future but uh yeah we'll talk to you later bye all right bye-bye
1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the goodness of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Peace Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Hope Lutheran Church at 1045, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Okay, we are back for our third and final segment of today's episode of Cross Defense. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is my final segment of Cross Defense, period. This is Reverend Bramwell's season finale. Um, I I don't know what's going to happen with Cross Defense. That's up to KFUO. Don't know what they're going to end up doing. I think they're going to run some encore episodes, some, some reruns, so to speak. Uh, in the weeks ahead. And that's just because I cannot um, fit recording into my schedule. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second uh, to continue for a handoff. The, the goal was originally to hand it off to someone else. But um, my schedule is getting so cramped with some some immediate things that I just I can't keep going. And so I'm hanging up my hat. And let's let's talk about it a little bit. So first of all, most importantly, KFUO has been a joy to work with. It is truly a pleasure to engage with the folks at KFUO and what they do getting getting Christ out anytime anywhere for you is awesome so this has been an amazing experience for me I'm humbled and honored to have been a host on one of our KFUO shows all the hosts on the other shows they, they just amazing people doing amazing work getting Christ crucified for you out there into the world so Got to say that first and foremost. It's been awesome. Love working with the team, and it is truly a team. Now, I didn't expect to be uh, backing away from this so suddenly. I had actually spoken with uh, KFUO about a, you know, a more easy, slow, planned transition. But here's the thing. I'm moving, and my schedule, all of a sudden, you know how moving goes, it is full of activity. And I'm not going to be able to spend the time I would like preparing and recording more episodes. And so, again, speaking to how awesome the folks are at KFUO, they were gracious enough to say, hey, we can run some some back episodes, some encore episodes, the rerun, so to speak. And we got you covered. So thanks for all of your service. We really appreciate it. And it has been ah, just wonderful. They've always had my back with all this different stuff going on through our move from Ferndale to Fort Wayne, trying to keep shows up and running for that during the you know, middle of transition and then settling in here at the seminary and all of that. And it's, it's been great. They've been extremely understanding the whole way through and they continue to be. So I wouldn't expect anything less from such a stellar group of people. All right. So why am I moving? Where am I moving to? What's going on? Now, this isn't a show about uh, Reverend Bramwell, but you kind of deserve a little bit of an explanation. Just drop the bomb on you at the beginning of the show that this is the last one that I'm hosting. So I guess I could explain a little something, right? All right. Well, here it is. I have been called back to the parish. As you know, I'm an admission counselor here at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For the last seven months, I've been acclimating to this new life and working to uh, help men get their feet wet as they consider pastoral ministry, helping in the general sense with the diaconal ministry as well, preparing 
women. And that's what we do here in the admissions department as well as for deaconesses and pastors. And this has been a great opportunity too. This has been wonderful to be able to engage at the seminary, the premier seminary on the planet, in the world, Fort Wayne, Concordia Theological Seminary. It is by far, in my estimation, the number one seminary for confessional biblical theology. If you want a faithful pastor, look to Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But I've been called back into the parish to be a parish pastor once again. And I got to tell you, I missed the work. I missed being in the pulpit. I missed being at the altar. I missed being with people at the hospital. I missed being with the homebound and the sick. I missed uh, just being with people in general, serving them in Bible study and, and all the different things that we do as pastors with our people. I missed that activity. As you know from a number of episodes here in the last month, month and a half or so, I've been really talking a lot about our uh, use of technology and social media and these sorts of things. And I am of the mind that I can serve the church much better by doing in-person, old-fashioned, real-life, theological work. Not creating video content and, and social media content, being a digital content creator. And I want to I want to kind of talk about this in this, maybe this is a comforting of the soul segment as well, because it's important for all of us. My friends, listeners out there, I want to encourage you to go back to church. If you haven't been going to church because of COVID, make sure you, you really think about why. And if, and if things are limited and it's beyond your control, encourage your congregation, your church, your, your pastor and elders, and, and all those who are in authority, who have the ability to, to you know, make policies and procedures and they're thinking this through and, and do it with grace because it is a hard, hard climate to navigate right now with COVID going on. But encourage them to move toward in-person, real-life gathering. That's what Scripture had in mind. That's what Jesus has in mind for us. That's what God intends for us when he talks about the assembly, the ecclesia, the church. When we read in Hebrews that we should gather together and encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near, not forsaking to meet together as is the habit of some, my paraphrase. That does not mean virtually. That does not mean digitally. That does not mean in spirit, as if it was some sort of charismatic, enthusiast uh, inclination of what it means to gather. And if we're not careful, that will become the new definition of gather. Language is living. It adapts. It changes. And we are, we are on a new, in a new frontier here. We're on the edge of a new frontier where if we are not careful, the language of assembly, of gathering, will become digital, virtual, metaphorical, to use Pastor Schulteis's language from the last two segments. That it won't just, it, it, it'll be a, a more of a simile rather than a metaphor. It won't, it'll start to lose the reference of what it really is to gather together. And that's been on my heart and my mind, considering what we read and, and what we've looked at as far as apologetics and defense of the faith and, and scripture and uh, Neil Postman's Technopoly, and we just barely started scratching the surface. I had intended to go deeper into this and talk about a lot more resources on this subject. But what I'm seeing coming from the church is, is that too, too quickly we are uh, letting ourselves be isolated, separated from one another, and then we're justifying it in the names of safety, 
in the names of, of uh, service to our neighbor, which is always good and well, but is it accurate the way we're talking about it? Easter's coming up. Easter is that celebration where we declare victory over death. The cure for all that ails us, even COVID. We do not need to be fearful and cower away, isolated from one another. But as Easter approaches, consider the gospel. Consider the proclamation of Jesus Christ. He walked out of the tomb. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for the church? And what does it mean for us as we are confessing before the world, making that bold witness who we are and where we put our trust? I'm not saying being reckless. That's not what I'm saying. But we can do, we can do a lot better of practicing what we preach. And so as I go back to the parish, and i got to tell you, I'm not just going back to any parish. But as I go back to the parish, to do in-person, real life, incarnate, fleshly ministry, I encourage you too to do the same. Don't get stuck in a digital church. Such a thing is, uh, it is a shadow of the reality. It is not the reality. Now, let me say, I am not going uh, back to just any church. This is unusual. Not unheard of, though. I am actually going back to St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California. My previous parish that I was serving seven months ago has called me to once again be their pastor, and I am ecstatic to go back to be their pastor. They haven't had a pastor for seven months. They haven't had communion for seven months. They've been hearing the word primarily digitally. They just barely started gathering together in person because of all the California restrictions. And I feel called. I believe I am called to go back and to guide and to teach and to preach and to suffer with them under California's rules and regulations, to be with them in the hard times. Though I know the Lord has been working and it was the Lord's will, He called me here just as He has called me there yet again always teaching, always disciplining, always drawing us closer to the cross, that we would learn how to walk according to his way, that we would, that we would be humbled and put our trust in him and not in ourselves. So, along with all of this, this has really nothing to do with stopping being a host of cross defense. This immediate calling it quits is, is and so quickly, is because of my schedule with packing and moving and getting out to Ferndale, but I originally was thinking I could continue it. We just keep it going. But what I want to do is focus on the vocation of pastor, as well as father and husband, to really practice what I preach and to get in people's lives once again, in person as much as possible. And I want to focus on the place where I've been called, planted, that part of the world, to, to till that part of the ground that the Lord has prepared for me as his under-shepherd to garden. And knowing myself, I know that I can be distracted with the online audience, so to speak, the online community, if we want to use that language, which we should probably do with a giant asterisk next to it. The online connections are wonderful and good. And they, I have wonderful friendships and connections with people only because of social media. But I think I can do more good. And it would be more appropriate 
for me to work locally, in person, not virtually, not digitally. Some of my content will still continue to go on social media. It's not like I'm deleting my social media. There is a, a use for it. So I will continue to uh, post things as time allows. I'm not going to be a slave to the algorithm, which is probably going to hurt my reach and my audience and all these sorts of influencer talks. And that's fine because that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to be a pastor, to bring people the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are a certain number of people right now in Humboldt County, California, St. Mark's in Ferndale, and all those they serve that come from the different parts of the county to gather together and worship there. And there's not many of them. There's a few. It's a remnant of people, really, in that part of the world that are in need of hearing the gospel. They are in need of attention. They are in need of someone dedicating his time to them, just like your pastor dedicates his time for you. You don't need social media gospel. We need in-person, called and sent pastoral gospel, real, in your life, in your face, in your bubble, in your comfort zone, knowing who you are, proclamation. And I look forward to getting back to that. And I know that the temptation would be, for me, knowing my weaknesses, with continuing cross-defense, the temptation would be to serve you all, to focus my attention on the bigger audience, on the numbers and the metrics and all of this sort of thing. But that is just what it is, a temptation, knowing me. I believe other men can do it without the temptation. They can do it well. They can balance their time. I want to ensure that I'm not tempted in that way. Where I'm going is very much a mission field. Humboldt County is one of the marijuana-producing capitals, so to speak, of California and of the country, really. They say that 60% of America's illegal marijuana, this is before all the legalizations happened, 60% of America's illegal marijuana came out of Humboldt County. But it is also a place where there are faithful Christians who long to be the light of Christ in the midst of darkness. There is poverty everywhere. People strung out on drugs and lives ruined and wrecked. There are people without work because of the different political and economic policies and procedures and laws and things that make it hard to make a living. And they're tempted into sin. They're tempted into that marijuana industry. They're tempted into all kinds of horrible situations. There are people struggling to make ends meet. It, it is a real mission field, and it is isolated. I'm six hours north of San Francisco. It's very isolated, very remote, very rural. But there's so much work to be done. In fact, actually, there's a great book. We've talked about books here before. There's a book called The Romance of Lutheranism in California. I think it's out of print, but there's a number of copies floating around, especially out in the California district. Uh, but this book actually talks about St. Mark's. It was written by a former pastor of St. Mark's in Ferndale. He uh, went off to be a professor down in Oakland when we had a, a university down there. But um, he talks about how Ferndale, really, the humble area, the Redwood Empire, as they call it, was of all the lower 48 everywhere. It was the last mission field just because of the isolation and the hard hardship of getting there and doing ministry there. And that case is kind of still the same. We had some reporters come out from the LCMS a while back and back in 2018, they did a little article on St. Mark's and uh, they had just got back from Papua New Guinea and they said it was easier to get around and get to Papua New Guinea than it was to get to St. Mark's in Ferndale. Yes, my heart is drawn to Ferndale and I can't wait to get back.
The family can't wait. It's going to be great. And I'm going to be focusing on that. I am going to be focusing on in-person church. I encourage you, my friends, to do the same, to focus on in-person church for you. We are coming to an end. God is good. I thank you for coming along with me on this journey these last, what, six, seven, eight, nine months, however long it's been since I've been doing Cross Defense. I really appreciate your your support, your encouragement, your listening, and continue to do so. Continue to listen to KFUO.org to supplement your, your walk in the faith, your study of scripture, but most importantly, go to church. Listen to your pastor, study scripture, ask questions, dive in for answers, and encourage one another. Gather together. Don't fail to gather together. Encourage one another all the more as we see the judgment day drawing near. And my friends, there are signs everywhere, isn't there? There always have been, but look at the things around us in our own day. You cannot deny the Lord will be back, and he will be back soon. It has been a joy. Christ be with you. This is Reverend Tyrell Bramwell for the last time on Cross Defense. God's peace. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.